What up, guys and gals, dudes and dudettes? It's your boy Rick here, the host of the No Soliciting Experience. I just want to ask you guys a huge favor before we get into today's podcast is if you guys find value, if there's something that you learned, if there's something that you can apply today, I just ask that you share it with friends, coworkers, managers, owners, whatever it may be. If you find value in today's episode, just share it on your social media. Tag me, as you know, most active on social on social media through Instagram at um, No Soliciting Bra. So yeah, let's uh, get into it. Cue the music and get on to today's episode. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to the No Soliciting Experience. I'm super excited for today's episode. Uh, today's conversation is going to be, it's one of the ones that I've been looking forward to for quite a bit now. And well, without further ado, I want to bring on today's guest, Chris Pierce. Thank you so much for being on today's, um, today's episode. I appreciate everything you do. I see you doing the lives with like all the influential leaders within the industry. So Without further ado, Chris, can you introduce yourself a little bit to the people and just kind of let them know who you are and your background and kind of how you got into the space? Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm I'm really excited as well to be on here and to just chat with you um, and yeah, really dive into uh, resilience and what it means in the in the door to door space. Um, you know, I'll try to be brief. I can be, I can be long-winded, so I'll, I'll be as brief as I can. But basically, my background is in sports psychology. I got my master's in that, uh, worked with professional and amateur surfers uh, for three years. Uh, it, was, it was a really awesome experience. And then had an opportunity to start working with the military. Uh, did that for the next eight years, working with um, Green Berets, uh, special operations, trying to help them to be mentally tough um, and helped a ton of guys make it through ranger school and get prepared for that. Um, and then, yeah, stepping into door to door has been a really, really awesome and rewarding uh, experience. Um, and yeah, just helping people to develop real lasting mental toughness to have the tools so that they can bounce back because this field is one that it's rough. It's a roller coaster ride. And if you can flatten out that curve as much as possible, you know, it's, it's a a more enjoyable ride in the long term. And Mm -hmm. so I've found a lot of, uh, a lot of, just enjoyment helping uh, people within this space because you guys are so motivated, so ready to, to take on the world. Um, and that is the greatest thing when working with, whether it's an athlete, soldier, or, or sales rep, um, having that desire to, to make things happen. Exactly. And it's, it's so interesting because we t- off camera, we're talking about resilience. And resilience seems to be a hot topic, the mental toughness aspect. Yeah. We, we look at guys, I think everyone who listens to this podcast has 
you know, I guess some sort of influential, I guess, impact from guys like David Goggins, like Annie Frazella, Ed, Ed Milet, um, Jocko Willink, all these guys who are, who we look to as, as resilient people. But yet, like how you said, there's a period and then you just move on to the next topic. What right. you do is you do like how to be more resilient. So um, I guess my question is what, what, what got you started with all this to even be into the space of mental toughness and resilience? So honestly, I, I kind of fell into it. I, I studied exercise science for my undergrad degree and got into grad school, not knowing what I was going to do and took this class called philosophy of movement. And in the class, it, it was led by a guy named Ken Revisa, who became one of the greatest mentors of my life. Um, he was all about application. So every single class, he said, information is worthless unless you go and help somebody. And so he was like, go find people to help, you know, which now that I'm working in the door to door space, I'm like, like I had to do that on a different level. And so I wanted to growing up surfing. I wanted to work with surfers. And so I went down to Huntington beach during some surf contests, just started talking to everyone. Um, within an hour, uh, I had made all these connections that, you know, set me up to work with, um, some of the best surfers in Southern California at the time. Um, and it was just, it was, it was just so amazing, but that was the start was, was not only learning that you can accomplish so much more if you control what's up in your head, but also that you can perform at a higher level and then forcing us to go and find people to help and, and teaching us that, that just because you learn stuff doesn't mean you actually know anything. And, and that you have to apply it. So that's, that's how I got into it. Uh, after a couple of years working with surfers, I realized that, that not all athletes, but, but a lot of them can be hard to work with um, because they've been handed everything to them. And they have these high expectations um, with, I guess, low willingness to put in the effort. Um, and which was such a, I guess, transition working with military as well as working with, with sales professionals is seeing that you guys are way more willing to work, um, yeah. than, than a lot of these surfers. Mm -hmm. That's true. Because for a lot of us, it's just kind of like the, the, the income, the income aspect. It's like, Hey, I want to go make more money. A lot of us come from the, from a space where. You know, we didn't grow up with much. So the ability to now take control of something, which is our income, like for a lot of people, it's just very addicting and they just go after it and they yeah. work. Yeah. And it, it means, it means something, you know, having that, having that shift, um, you know, to, to take control over that one aspect of your life makes a, makes a huge difference. You know, and, and honestly, the people that I work with that are excited to, to develop and grow and do things that they've never done before and do things differently, those are the ones that you, you see make these crazy impacts on their lives. 
Um, you know, because you can learn stuff all day long, but until you apply it, it's really worthless. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess this, this is fun because this is a topic that I really enjoy. It's how to applicable things like for salespeople, it's always, well, how do I become more mentally tough? How do I do the things that other people do? And the short term, very direct answer every single time is just go knock more doors. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But what is, what does that mean? Go, go knock more doors. You know, <laughs> it's well, go put yourself in a situation where you can put a hundred percent effort into something, which is your presentation or your pitch. Yeah. I guess if, if, if we want to look at it as like a sports, cause I, I compare a lot of things to sports. It's, yeah, same. Put yourself at at bat situations. Baseball. Put yourself at bat. Right. Yep. You know, you know that when the pitchers pitches, you're gonna give a hundred percent and you're gonna and you're gonna swing. Right. Yeah. That swing is the perfect presentation. Just go swing. If you strike out, you strike out. If you hit a home run, you make a sale. Yeah. And you always have another at bat so long as you keep playing the game. Mm-hmm. So you know, yes. Mm-hmm. Go, go knock more doors, but to break it down to the ridiculous is put yourself in a situation where you can give a hundred percent effort, which is your presentation or your pitch, right? Yeah. Overcome objections. And that's how you get better. Yeah. And, and I think what happens a lot of times is people, they, they see, hear that, right. And they take it and they're like, okay, I'm going to do that. You know, Henceforth and forever, right? Like, okay, moving on 100% all the time. And mm-hmm. I think that the problem with that is like, uh, you know, sticking with the baseball analogy is a baseball player isn't batting all of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they'll practice, they'll go out and they will, they'll practice, um, you know, hitting fastballs. They'll practice hitting curveballs, knuckleballs, all the all the weird pitches that are out there, right? Mm-hmm. And they practice those intentionally to get better at specific things. But guess what? They're not they're not practicing hitting fastball for ten hours a day. And so, one of the biggest things that I I say to people that I think makes a huge impact is give yourself a set amount of time to practice specific things right? So if you're working on a pitch, right? Okay. The next 10 people that you talk to dial that pitch, right? And work on a specific thing, maybe, uh, make a commitment to yourself to overcome a set amount of objections, but you don't have to do it forever, which can be daunting and difficult. Rather you, you just are doing it for those next 10 doors, right? Those next 10 people. And you're looking at it, take whatever sport that you grew up playing, right? And think back to practice. So like, okay, I'm running this drill for the next Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. After that, run another drill, Mm -hmm. right? And when you do that, it, it breaks it down so that it's way more manageable. Because when you say like, oh, I'm just going to give a hundred percent, like all the time, Nobody can do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? exactly. And so you, you break it down into just these, like just the drills and you choose what those drills are. Right. So if, if it was me, like I'd pull out my journal 
and write it down. Like what, mm-hmm. almost like if you were going to the gym, like, okay, I'm going to do bench press them and do, uh, you know, whatever other lifts. Right. And you, mm-hmm. you write up that whole program and then you execute it, do the same thing. Right. And try different things. Not only will it be more enjoyable because it'll break things up a bit, um, but you'll start getting better at the specific things that you're practicing. Exactly. Because with the data, with data, you, you, you can predict the future. I'm a big I'm a big data guy. Like it is insane. And this is one of the crazy things you, you look at, like you look at, especially like training the like the Green Berets. Like one of one of the examples is um, I was a fanatic of snipers, like long range riflemen and long range marksmen. It's what do they do. They carry notebooks. They keep notes of absolutely everything. Because if yeah. wind change, humidity, all these different things, you look at you look at athletes, right? You look at Tom Brady. You look at, for example, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, one of the greatest two two greatest quarterbacks to ever walk the face of the earth and play football. They know what's going on on the defensive side. They take notes. They understand that if a safety is leaning too far forward, that's you know that's depending on what coverage he's playing. Is he playing man? Is he playing you know more of a zone read? you know, or zone coverage. Yeah. All, all these different things you see that and you can predict it. So if you take notes at what happened at every single door, how did I overcome the person that said they weren't interested? Well, they said they weren't interested because this, how did I overcome the real objection there? Yeah. If you take, if you take notes on everything, you have data. So then, and it's one thing to mentally store it. It's another thing to write it down. Yeah. Yeah. You write People it down, write you it have down. It forever. <laughs> right exactly and, and I, get that, I get that people don't like to write but like pull your phone out pull open the notes and to talk at it it'll mm-hmm. write it for you mm-hmm. right like we have the technology to make it so easy and i think something really really interesting is when if you look into like the research on resilience right and when mm-hmm. they first really started diving in they, it was interesting because they talked about resilient people um, and the term that they used for them was invincible and invulnerable. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody's invincible and invulnerable, right, that's like Superman. That means that it doesn't matter what happens. Nothing's going to hurt them, right? Because Superman, you can shoot him with a gun, but it's not going to hurt, right? Where... Mm-hmm. What they found, though, is that was very, very inaccurate, that mm-hmm. people are not invincible and invulnerable, but people handle the difficulties of life or of sales or of combat in different ways. And so mm-hmm. they switched and, and started using the term ordinary magic. I don't, I don't know if you like magic at all um, or enjoy watching a magician, but mm-hmm. it's always interesting, right? It's like, hey, look over here. And then they're going to you know, steal your wallet or, or do something behind your back. And mm-hmm. then when you find out how the magic was done, you're like, for real? That was it? That's stupid, right? And so you don't want to know how magic is done because it's cooler when you don't. And resilience is, is so similar to that, where the best batters in baseball, it's not that they have this secret formula. 
It's that they have a simple process that they go through Mm -hmm. to watch the ball and swing at the appropriate time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, it's so simple. Like Hank Aaron, right. One of the best batters of all time, right. Always getting on base. What, what he did was he just was the most focused baseball player, right? He, he didn't go out to get on base all the time. He just went out and, and focused on the ball and swing at the appropriate time. And so in door to door, you've got to understand that resilience is also, it's just this ordinary magic, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just about what you're physically doing, but it's also about the magic that goes on up in your head. Mm-hmm. Right. And so a lot of times, and, and there's a big roundabout way of bringing it back to what you're saying about taking notes on what you're doing, but also taking notes on your experience. Because when we talk about mental toughness, it's not just about like what the, the actions that you're taking and, and learning about you know, the, the responses and stuff, but it's also about your emotional experience. Mm-hmm. It's about how did you respond not only emotionally, but physically, right? Did you, you know, are there any shakers out there or fidgeters, right? When you, when somebody gives you an objection that you don't know how to handle, right? Mm-hmm. What's your physiological response? And if you're not aware of all of those things, then you can be the best salesman in the world but you're still going to struggle because you lack control of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have all the answers, but you're not in control. It just comes down. Dude, I just had this conversation with somebody about the self-awareness aspect is being able to be self-aware to know what happens and what triggers these things. Again, most people can be the greatest salespeople, but they don't, they're not aware that they fidget. They're not aware that they lean, that they shake, that, you know, they sway back and forth that their, that their face makes a specific reaction when they don't, when they get a response that they don't like, you know, like all these things, all these things we can control. Yeah. But we, we don't know how to control them if we don't take notes, if we don't, aren't aware of like a one plus two equals two, they say this and this, and it makes me react this way. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's like the starting point. Right. Like anybody listening, if you want to start to build mental toughness, start paying attention. Uh Right. You start paying attention to the way that you respond under to certain reactions, certain objections. Right. You don't even have to try to to have the right answer at that point, but just start paying attention. And as you start paying attention, you're going to start learning things about yourself. You're going to start recognizing that, okay, when this thing happens, I get all thrown off. Right. And because if you don't know that, then even if you have the answer, you're not going to know how to like Mm -hmm. rein things in because you're not going to be prepared for that curveball when you do get thrown off. Exactly. And just because you have all the information, well, you have the information and you don't know where it goes. Oh man, this makes so much sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think honestly paying attention and taking notes on it, it's kind of like, it reminds you like, okay, you can close your eyes and imagine you're on like a hot date, right? (laughs) 
you're, you're having a, a great meal and you, you've got to get up and use the restroom, right? So you get up and you go and you, you're washing your hands and you look in the mirror and you've got like, I don't know, some crap in your teeth, right? <laughs> how many, how many of you are going to leave that there? You're no like, one. Oh. I, I, I would hope not. <laughs> You're like, I'm saving that for later. That looks amazing, <laughs> right? Like, no, that's not what happens. You know, mm-hmm. when you become aware that things are off, right? And this date is important to you, mm-hmm. right? You're like, oh man, I wonder how long that's been in my teeth. I look like an idiot, right? And so you go and you, uh, mm-hmm. you get it out, right? And then you go back to the date and you're hoping that, you know, that they didn't see it or that, that it didn't, you know, affect them too much. Mm-hmm. Right. But, <clears throat> excuse me. But the thing is that as soon as you become aware, we typically do something about it. Mm-hmm. Right. The yeah. problem that most people face is they're trying to do stuff without being aware. They're trying mm. to take action and learn all the answers. But the real, the real question is, do I have crap in my teeth? Right. But if you don't look in the mirror, then you're not going to even know if you have this stuff in your teeth to begin with. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, so it's like, it's, it's like, stop focusing on just like, just the, the doing all of the, like, oh, it's a new pitch. Okay. You know, and always hunting for that next thing. It's mm-hmm. probably not that your tactics are off. It's probably that you just need to gain control of yourself. Exactly. Uh, I love that. That that paints a big, big picture in my head. It's like all the information. And this this is what I subconsciously do. And I didn't and I kind of knew that I did, but anytime somebody says something. I have 10 responses ready to go, but I don't go into the responses, the rebuttals. It's now I take a step, a mental step back and I talk slower. Mm, yeah. Because if I, if I can talk slower, then I can think things out a lot better in my mind rather than just spewing out information. It, it's funny how like you think of Einstein, right? The, the mm-hmm. theory of relativity, right? Mm-hmm. Time is relative. And it speeds up when we think that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you that the person listening to you, if you pause for like a second, which might seem like eternity for you, mm-hmm. it's just the second to them. They don't think mm-hmm. there's a problem. They don't think that like it's mm-hmm. weird or awkward. You do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I call those moments of where you slow down. I call it, a, I mean, the, in the military, they call it a tactical pause. And it's not just taking a break. It's not just pausing or slowing down, but it has a purpose, right? And, and so you could tell someone when, when you get a rebuttal that you're not really sure you need a minute to process to slow down. And I would agree that's the first step. But then the second step is knowing what you're going to do within that pause, and that's something that you can't prepare for during the pause. You have to already mm-hmm. know the answer, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know, like, okay, I don't know the answer to everything. 
And because I don't know the answer to everything, sometimes I'll get thrown off. When that happens, I'm just going to take a breath Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go through the various answers that I do know, right? Mm -hmm. In a systematic way. For me, it'll feel like forever. For them, it's just going to be a second, Mm -hmm. right? Now, all of a sudden, that tactical pause is so much more meaningful and it's Mm -hmm. so much more productive because you planned and you practiced it before you even ever got on the doors. Yeah. Genius. Never thought of it like that that way. And I think a lot of people do it like Mm -hmm. like yourself. You know, and, and there, there are a lot of people that, that they go through the motions, you know, when they started studying people with resilience, it wasn't like these people were like, yes, I'm going to be resilient. Like, let's do this. They were just living their life, dealing with the adversity as they saw fit. Right. Mm -hmm. And some people's perspective of how to respond to things was more effective than others. And so I guarantee you, there's a ton of people in this space who are doing the right things, who are, Mm -hmm. who are taking the appropriate steps to being super resilient. They just don't have a name for it, or they don't know that this is like a high level Mm -hmm. strategy for being resilient. Yeah. Most of us don't even know. Most of us just kind of, I, cause this, this, this is a question, I guess, maybe with your insight is, what makes the difference in somebody who is just because re- until you sometimes people are just naturally a little bit more and more resilient. Some people yeah. tend to crumble under pressure. In your experience, what's what's been the I don't know like a few key factors of someone who is just inadvertently naturally resilient without knowing that they're with, without knowing that they're, you know, doing these high level resilience, resilient things and those who just crumble. So those who are more resilient, they, they know what they're after, right? So going back to baseball, right? A more resilient batter is going to, regardless of what the pitch is, right? Regardless of who's on base and what the score is, they are going to follow a process so that they can, again, watch the ball and swing when appropriate, right? And it all just comes down to that, right? And so it depends on, it's not like every baseball player needs to follow this systematic process. It depends on the person, right? And so if you, if you struggle with certain things, right? Because there's no perfect baseball players. There's no perfect soldiers. There's no perfect, uh, sales reps. And, and so you're, everyone's going to get thrown off. Everyone's going to get, uh, have difficulties and, and experience things that they struggle with. The more resilient ones are going to do something about it to get back to that optimal state. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I like to call them rebels Mm -hmm. um, simply because a rebel does not conform. And what what a normal person would do when they get thrown off is they would allow themselves to feed into being thrown off. 
and feeling a certain way and allowing the frustration and the anxiety that is normal and common to take over. Whereas a resilient person knows that, sure, those things are going to creep in, but I'm not going to let them take over because I'm in control. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the day, maintaining that control means winning regardless of what the numbers say on the scoreboard. Yeah. Me, and, and what that means is that they can take that confidence, even if they struck out three times, right? Even if you bageled, you can still be confident tomorrow because you executed today. Yeah. Ooh. Right. And so you yeah. won today, right? You're, you're always talking about winning the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and winning the morning is about doing those things that you've committed to doing, right? That, mm-hmm. that are going to set you up for success the rest of the day. And so if you can, if you can clearly define the control that you're going to maintain throughout the day and actually follow through with them, those mm-hmm. commitments, then you've won regardless of how many deals you closed. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the difficulty is that that's not normal. It's and that's, not. And that's why I call them rebels. You have to be a rebel to change the definition of what it means to win. Interesting. Dude, that, that reminds me of, as, as you were saying that, of just as long as you get those little wins and the confidence that you build there transfers into tomorrow, it reminds me of that day, it was a game when Kobe Bryant was just keep taking shots and he missed almost dang near every, every single one of them. And then the reporters asked him at the, end, at the end of the game, they're like, why did you keep taking shots? And he responded, so my teammates wouldn't, so my teammates would know that I didn't lose confidence. Yeah. Because ultimately, if, if you win, and, and if we're looking at it as like a leadership aspect, a lot of people are leaders or are working into like leadership roles, is as long as you do your wins, it's going to inspire others to say, hey, you know, maybe he isn't gaining a ton of deals today. Maybe, you know, some, something's just off. Today's just not his day. Regardless of the results at the end of the day, his internal results are wins. Yeah. He still has that same confidence. Yep. And just like Kobe Bryant, he was giving 100% of his, I don't know, let's say he was at like 70%, 60% that day. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important. Like if you wake up every morning, right. And you, you go through your morning routine and you recognize that, you know what, I'm only at like a, I don't know, like a a 60% today. And Mm -hmm. that kind of sucks. But guess what? I'm going to give 100% of that 60%. Yep. Whereas if you struggle to give like, because what most people do, right? They recognize like, okay, I'm at 60% today. And they give 20%. They're like, today's a wash. It sucks. Right. And you lost not because you didn't make any deals. You lost because you didn't give a hundred percent of that 60%. Yep. And that's ultimately what it, what it comes down to is giving what you've got. You know, if you watched the, um, the last dance 
right? And mm-hmm. you know, the bulls in the in the 80s and um and 90s. Um one of the things Michael Jordan would always do, right? And this this kind of fed into his ego a bit, but he would always find like a kid in the stands. And if he wasn't feeling a hundred percent, he's like, that kid might never see me play again. I don't want him talking trash on me. Right. Like, so yeah. I'm going to give him a good show. And so his worst game was still way up here, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in that show, it talks about times when he was like sick, you know, and still stepping up, still making it happen when he legitimately had the flu. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so I think that like, yes, it's important to gauge how much, not just energy, but how much you can give. Right. And then give a hundred percent of that, but finding something right. Like a kid in the stand, that's going to push you to give that hundred percent when you're sick, mm-hmm. when you don't want to, right. Mm-hmm. You have to have something backing it. And in, in this industry, there's a lot of things, you know, people putting out the fancy cars and, and all the, you know, the big houses and, and all of those things. But I would challenge you guys to find something like Michael Jordan did, where it was a little kid in the stand watching, mm-hmm. right? That had nothing to do with money. That had nothing to do with closing deals. All it had to do with was he was going to give a hundred percent so that that kid saw a good show. Yep. And so find something for you that's like that. That's yeah. not just about reaching a goal. It's not just about, you know, the, the monetary financial aspects, but it's about you as a character. It's about you as a role model, you as a person. Yeah, exactly. Put yourself in organized chaos. Well, yeah. for me, that's, that, that's just kind of how I see it. As I, I put myself in organized chaos in a lot of different situations. Because I know that if mentally I put myself with my back against the wall, I have, if, if for a lot of us, right, we've been there, like our, our backs have been against the wall and we have no other choice but to perform. I put myself in situations mentally where I, I'm, I'm back up against the wall. I have no other choice but to perform today. And sometimes, even if it's just 60%, 70%, some days yeah, I don't have much to give, but, the do, but what I do give, that's all of it. And I think that is where the pride should be connected to, because there's a huge problem, especially for young sales reps, right? Where their pride and their ego is connected to the result. Mm -hmm. Erase that, Mm -hmm. right? Cut that cord and connect your pride to what you're doing and the effort that you're giving. And the results will be the byproduct. When you say to yourself or to somebody else that you're going to knock a certain number of hours, knock those hours. And I guarantee you, it's going to be like a marathon and you're going to hit a wall and you're going to say, this sucks and I don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you do it, it feels amazing. Like the person who finishes the, the marathon and collapses, right? Because they've given everything, but they feel so good because they know that they've done what they committed to do. Yeah. 
but so many, especially, like I said, young guys in this industry, they make these commitments, but they don't follow through and their ego is just connected to results and failures as opposed to meeting those commitments. Mm-hmm. It's, it's everything is result oriented. And that's one of the, it, there's been a recent shift. And I think it's because of people like you and people who are doing these things. It's now like action based. Yeah. I tell all my, I tell all my guys like, look, dude, I don't care how many sales you make today. Like give me your non-negotiables today. Give me, tell me the, write down the things that you are going to do to win your day. And this is one of the things that I learned from like um, a- Andy Frazella. And it was like, pick five tasks that you're going to do and you're going to win the day, whatever that may be. These are things that you, that you need to do and that you will do that will, pro- that will help you progress in life. Yeah. So whether it's writing, writing out emails to your customers, whether it's knocking 110 doors, not as just make it a goal. I don't care how many sales you get, how many doors are you going to knock? Yeah. And I think one of the problems too is, is people look at other people and they just Mm -hmm. pick the same things, Uh which sure I get that's, that's fine as a starting point, but maybe those aren't the five things that are going to help you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and again, like we talked about before, pay attention to yourself and what's going to set you up for success and, and, you know, 75 hard, those things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cause ev- everyone's version of success is different. It's like, what is your version? Like who, who are you when you're successful? Yeah. Like if you, if you, if you were to do, if you were to be successful in five years, what would that person look, who would that person be? What would they do? How would they approach this situation? And when you're in that situation, you're like, I don't know what to do. Well, think about it. If you were successful in five years, who would that person be? What would they do? Do what they would do. And you're going to bridge that gap to from where you're at right now and where you want to be. Yeah. And the hard part about that is the defining moments are the suckiest. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. To become that person that you want to be in five, 10, even one year from now right? Uh The defining moments are going to be those times when you just want to go and cry in your car, but instead you knock those last even three doors, Mm -hmm. right? And you push yourself and you don't stop walking during the marathon, right? And that's what real mental toughness comes down to is you're going to do the things that you've committed to doing, even when other things take priority, even mm-hmm. when weather sucks, even when you've got issues at home, right? You could go on and on and on, right? Even when all the things, anything that you can think of, mm-hmm. but you still do what you've committed to doing. Yeah. And now you're changing the construct of who you are. And that's, that's crazy. That's, that's one, of the, one of the big underlying topics or the, the big topic in the one, one of my personal favorite books, which is um, psychocybernetics, just changing your, yeah. your, your inner self, changing your inner self image. Everyone talks about, oh, I want to be, you know, that person, but start doing the things that they would do. Mental toughness yeah. is just, that's all it is. Doing something that was hard at one point and doing it to a point where now it's, I don't like the word easy. I think, I think 
the 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 change should be now things now that it's simpler. Yeah. Yeah. And simple is not easy. Simple just means that you have a clear direction of where you're going to go and you know how to execute it. Mm -hmm. Right. Waking up at 5 a.m. every morning and, you know, given a hard workout. That's simple, not easy. Mm -hmm. Right. Ensuring that you do it day in and day out is is different than just saying that you're going to do it. Uh huh. Exactly. Man. This is great. I love this. I love this so much. (laughs) You, I mean, and you also got to realize that right now we're talking brain science, right? But you got neural pathways, right? Mm -hmm. When you, when you drive the same route, like I grew, I grew up in the same house. Like my parents moved to this house when I was four and they're still there, right? I lived there for 20 plus years. And, and there's not a lot of roads to get, you know, to like town and and my house. And so there were a lot of times that I'd, I'd be driving not home, right. I'd be going to a friend's house or something, but I end up at my house because Mm -hmm. that neural pathway was so powerful that it overrode the desires that I had. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it until I pull it to the driveway and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not even going here. <laughs> right. And then I have to back out and, and then feel like an idiot and drive somewhere else. Right. To where I was actually intending to go. But here's mm-hmm. the thing when you're going to rewire yourself and, and create this new person, you're going to experience moments like that where mm-hmm. you, you fall back into the rut and the roads of the way you've always done things. And you're going to get to the end of the road and you're going to say, oh, I'm an idiot. What am I doing here? But if you don't then go back and then make it to that next destination, you're going to continue to strengthen that, those old neural pathways. One quote that I love to, uh, to say to myself um, often when I, when I catch myself in those situations and feel free to steal it because I stole it from Willy Wonka. Um, but in the original Willy Wonka, he, he says a couple times in that movie, he, he, he'll say stuff wrong and he goes, strike that reverse it. Right. And, and then he does it over again, the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you can do that just cause you screw up. Doesn't mean that you can't try again. Right. And if you're going to build those new neural pathways, you're going to screw up a lot and you're going to keep on building those old neural pathways. But you've got to change. You've got to realize that, dang it, I'm an idiot sometimes and I got to redo it. And that's OK. Yeah. But a lot exactly. of times what we do is we we mess up and we make the mistakes and we. We, we just kind of we accept get, them. Yeah, we get to the end and we're like, well, I guess I'm not going to my friend's house today. I'm just going home. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, don't do that. Like, all I have to do is back out and drive to their house. I know, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. So don't accept it. Change it and, and do it the right way. Catch yourself. Sometimes you catch yourself halfway through. Make mm-hmm. the change, make the adjustments. Mm-hmm. Make the adjustments. That's all it is. Just the adjustments. Start changing. And just the same way, and I, I, I believe this to my core, the same way that there is that those, how you find yourself into a rut, 
people have the tendency of associating rud with negativity. I think if you put yourself in a almost seamless way of performing, a seamless way of being, you can change that to be yeah. positive. That no matter what, doesn't matter if it's raining, if doesn't matter what happens, I'm going to do this. And that could now be your norm. Yeah. And it goes back to taking the notes, right? If you want to take negative things and turn them into positive, then just learn from it. Right. It's funny because there's a quote that's often used in not just this industry, but just in growth in general about, um, you know, like, like failure is the greatest teacher. And Mm -hmm. I think that failure is only the greatest teacher when you take notes on it, right? When you Mm -hmm. look back on it and actually address it and make a new plan for how you're going to do things better. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, it's a, it's not a good quote because it's not accurate. The more accurate thing is experience is the greatest teacher when you look back on it and make the adjustments, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's success or failure. Success mm-hmm. can be the greatest teacher if you're like, oh, that worked really well. Do that again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? It's the same way, like, for example, like the comeback between the Patriots and, and the Falcons. They, they, they learned from their mistakes. <laughs> they were down 28-3 and they came back and won the freaking Super Bowl because they, they learned. They learned. Okay, this yeah. is what the defense is doing. This is what they're doing. Now, how do we adjust? came back halftime adjustments and making the greatest comeback in sports history. Yeah. It's funny in, in sports that are like team sports going at each other. Oftentimes the other team will score right after the last team did. Right. So like a team scores and they're all excited. So they're all hyped up like, yeah, we're killing it. And if, the other team recognizes that, oh, those guys have let their guard down. We're going to go extra hard, put extra effort in. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they score. And now there's been a, a flip-flop, mm-hmm. you know, or what ends up happening is that team scores. And this team's like, oh, they scored. Now we're going to lose. They beat us. Right. Mm-hmm. And then this team just scores and scores again. And, you know, they lose, you know, by huge margins. And I guess I asked you guys, like, who do you want to be? Right. Do you want to be that team that when, when you have scored, you use that momentum to, to score more or when bad things happen, you take advantage and you, you make those changes to, to shift from being the underdog to uh, you know, to, to flipping the script and winning the game, you know, Mm-hmm. It kind of doesn't matter how the game started, but, but how you finish it off. Oh, I love that. I love that. Dude, we've been going for an hour. <laughs> I can talk. I told you I can be back <laughs> with it. <laughs> no, this is good. This is super good. We talked about a few different, like very, maybe one, two, three topics of that. I think, Chris, this is going to be something that, where we're going to have to have a repeat episode or like a follow-up, but yeah, dude, I love it. I love it. Um, don't want to take like a ton of your time. Cause I know, dude, we can talk about this for hours. Um, but if there's one piece of advice that you would leave the industry, 
what would that be? Man, it, it's hard to nail down just one thing. And I think it probably changes each, each conversation I'm having. But I think right now I would say, remember the word calibrate, right? When you've got to calibrate something, it means that you're, you're optimizing it so that it can do its job, right? Like I've got this little drone, like it's like the cheap mm-hmm. one from Costco, right? And mm-hmm. every, every so often you've got to calibrate it, right? And you have to, you take the thing, right? And you spin it like this, right? Mm-hmm. And, then you, and then you have to spin it like this. And it's just this, it's a calibration. It says, okay, now, now it can fly without crashing, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I would, I would challenge everyone that's listening to look at the routines that you have, whether it's a morning routine, pre-sales routine, whatever it is, and ask yourself, is this calibrating me, right? Or am I just going through the motions? Am I taking the drone out of the box and just flying it into a tree? Or am I calibrating it? Meaning I'm making it so that it's going to work effectively. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, you can calibrate on the doors. You know, just because things are sucking, it doesn't mean that they have to continue sucking, mm-hmm. right? So, re- so I guess that's kind of, it's, it's one word, calibrate, right? <laughs> Make sure that you're calibrating yourself each day, but then calibrate yourself throughout the day instead of just being like, today sucks, but I'm going to keep knocking. Take that tactical pause recalibrate yourself. It might only last for one door Mm -hmm. recalibrate again, but I would just, you know, throw it, throw it back on people and ask yourself, like, how do you calibrate yourself morning and throughout the day? I like that. Where, where can people find you on social media? Um, sales resilience. It's my, uh, my Instagram handle, uh, shoot me DMS. I, I typically respond pretty quick. Um, but that's, yeah, that's the best place to, to find me and, and more about this resilience stuff. I love it. I love it. We're, we're, we're going to have to have a follow-up episode here soon. Um, so yeah, with that, Chris, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate the time that you've taken out of your day and this, I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's yeah. Been so much no, fun. It, it's been fun. It's been awesome. And uh, yeah, look forward to chatting more with you. Sweet. With that, guys, we'll see you guys on the next one. Peace.